multiplied hallelujahs. John Piper says that what God is looking for are worshipers. Why we do what we do is so that people will come to that point in their lives where they will surrender to God and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Heaven is a place of worship. God deserves our worship. Have you ever wondered why people just don't respond to the message, the gospel, the good news? That remarkable proclamation of forgiveness. The ability to live this life with purpose, with contentment, with joy and peace. You live in a sinful, fallen world and it's a hard place to live. Christian life doesn't say it's going to get easy. It just says that in your journey, you're going to have the possibility of purpose, and peace, and joy, and contentment. Why don't people just, why don't they get that? The good news of Jesus Christ is you don't have to be a man or a woman. You don't have to be really smart. Your race makes no difference. Your marital status makes no difference. Your age makes no difference. Your financial situation makes no difference. All the things that our culture looks at and pigeonholes us and, and tries to kind of you know, keep us down at times doesn't matter in God's economy. Why don't people, get, why don't people just jump at that? Jesus answers that question in the parable we're going to look at. What is true today was true then. Jesus came upon the scene and offered sincerely, genuinely to the people the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's rule. They were expecting a political transformation of, the, of politics and economy and all that, and he was more concerned about their hearts. God is always more concerned that we are holy rather than we're happy. But Jesus offered that, and, and he fed people and healed people and, and embraced people and, and welcomed people. He was a friend of sinners. But resistance started to grow and ultimately led to his death. He wanted to prepare his disciples for that. He wanted them to understand that the message is true and powerful. That he isn't sending them on a fool's errand. But that they're going to be the message is going to be rejected and ultimately they're going to be rejected. That's what the teaching of the parable we're looking at this morning is all about. Would you turn to Luke chapter 8? This parable is in all three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic Gospels, summary Gospels. If you have an electronic device, turn it on, scroll it to Luke chapter 8. We're looking at Luke's 
account. I'm going to read that for us in a moment, and I'm going to invite you to stand in anticipation of what the Spirit of God might want to say to you and in honor of God's Word. Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock. When it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him, what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that, though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe it for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Father, we invite your spirit to be our teacher. Lord, we acknowledge that, that we have voices speaking into our lives all the time. We, we really don't need another person telling us something right now. What we need is to hear from you. So Lord, I would ask that you would help each of us, myself at the top of the list, to have noble and good hearts. To have ears to hear. I ask, Lord, that you would speak to us and accomplish what you know we need in our lives. The encouragement we need. Whatever it may be. Lord, protect these dear people from anything that I might say that is an incorrect interpretation of the passage or an inappropriate application of the passage. Again, Lord, we want to hear from you. Lord, accomplish in our lives what you want to accomplish. For our good and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Remember, a parable is a teaching that's based upon something that the hearer knew. These people were incredibly familiar with the agrarian culture of the day. 
They knew what the typical farm was like. Don't think of your thousand, thousands of acre, highly mechanized farm of today in parts of our country and around the world. Think of, a, of an individual farmer on a small piece of ground doing the best he could. But they understood that. In that part of the world, uh, there was there were at certain points uh, all over the place. There were there was a shelf of rock that was that under the dirt, but it looked like there was dirt there, but it wasn't all that much. They didn't come in with a plow and and necessarily do all of that. Uh, sometimes they would plant the seed and then till the soil, but nevertheless, so you had these fields, and the and the zoning laws were pretty weak in those days, so there were paths through the fields. And people tend to, to, you know, walk the same place, and so that would get hard. And so they knew what it was like to have seed fall on a path, had it fall on ground that didn't have a lot of depth, not a richness, so the roots didn't take. And then they knew what a good soil was. They understood that. Well, Jesus, based upon that familiar, obvious reality is taking them to a different, deeper place. He's taking them to talk about eternity. About the message of God's love and provision for people. And he wants his disciples... By the way, in uh, the other two Gospels... Uh, there, there are so many people he gets in a boat. This one doesn't mention that. But what this one does mention is that the people who, who started, who were the, 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 the core of this growing crowd, were people who were really dedicated to him. You ever wonder how Jesus paid his bills? You know, he, and of course, we have the miraculous catch of the fish for he paid the taxes. But day in and day out, how did Jesus pay for stuff? It's because people were generous and gave it to him. We, that, we're told that in the first three verses of Luke 8. And so these were people who were really, had really bought in to him and his message. Uh, these, these individuals who were giving financially and the disciples who were given up everything. That was the core. And that's who he's really talking to when he gives the explanation of the parable. So in verse 11, we have the very the declarative statement that the word, the seed is the word of God. God has been revealing himself to men since the beginning of creation. If God did not reveal himself, we would not know him. He is beyond us. He is a spirit. But he has given us what we call natural revelation. That's, that's what we see in nature. We can see that he exists, that he's powerful. Romans 1, uh, we, we see it in history. We, we see it in our own hearts. And there's a limit to that, but we can see it. And we are without excuse, Romans 1 tells us. But then God has been very specific in what's called special revelation. And ultimately that ends up being Jesus. It's the Word of God. It's the message. It's it's, it's, it's God 
calling people to himself. People who have rebelled and far from him. And he's, he's inviting them to a life-transformational, eternity-securing relationship with himself. It's the Word. The soil is the hearts of people. Verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable, the seed is the Word of God. Verse 12, those among the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes away and takes the Word from their hearts. He gives four different class, broad-stroke classifications of humans. Okay? And he's talking about hearts. When the Scriptures talk about the heart, it's talking about the person, the total person. God doesn't separate us into, into different pieces and allow us to compartmentalize our lives. He looks at us as, as a whole. And so our heart is who we really are. So the seed is the Word of God. The heart, the soil is the heart. It's people. It's people. So he gives four different classifications. The first is in verse 12. I'm calling these uninterested people. Now they hear the word and uh, then the Lord the devil comes along and takes it away so that they may not believe and be saved. There are people out there, and you have bumped into many of them often, who just aren't interested. For whatever reason. Now they may not be hostile. When I was in graduate school, it's a very liberal place, and, and uh, they, were, they were fine, they were nice people. And they knew that I was a person of faith, and there were other people in, in the class that were people of faith. But the, the, the people far from God, they just, you know, that's fine, that's good for you, just don't bother us with it. We don't want it, we don't need it, we're not interested. What's going on? Well, they haven't come to the point in their life where they're receptive. Of the four types, this is the only one where, where Satan or the devil is mentioned. Remember that Satan is the, is the deceiver. He, he's the ultimate knockoff expert. I have a daughter who likes to take trips to New York City. And I'm glad she likes to go there and doesn't ask me to go with her. Okay? Been in New York City more than I want to tell you, and I can, I can leave it. But she goes and she actually takes people, buses of people sometimes. Uh, and, uh, and they all want to go to where you can get the knockoffs. You know, the places where you can get the, the name brand stuff, it looks the same, but it isn't. Okay? Satan is that way. Satan is really good at creating knockoffs. He does it in the church. He does it with the gospel. I read an article last night in the New Yorker magazine, not your most uh, predominant conservative orthodox publication, uh, about a particular Christian 
movement that's getting a lot of momentum and a lot of press around the world. And the reporter was a lady who was obviously very bright and had done her homework. It was an intriguing read. The gospel is not telling people that God really loves you and that He wants you to have a lot of money and He wants you to to really take life and be independent and strong. That's not the gospel. And it's being presented as the gospel. And people are buying it. They're not interested in the real truth. Uninterested people. They're spiritually blind. Satan has blinded them. And there is no real impact of the seed in their life. There is no belief. Clearly, these people are not believers. It says that they may not believe and be saved. Uninterested people. You can probably think of some people like that in your life right now. Your heart is broken for them. You pray for them. You try to to have a consistent, winsome walk before them. But they're just not interested. Now, maybe someday they will be. But right now, they're not. They're going to reject the seed. The second category are shallow, emotion-driven people. Verse 13, those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy. They receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. There is no long impact. It's short-lived. When life gets hard, they fall away. I think these are people who are primarily attracted to the gospel for a time because of emotion. They like, the, they like the music. They like the feel. They, whatever it is about the, what's happening, you know, they're in. But when life becomes life, which is filled with disappointment and heartache and struggle, they're not buying it. It's not supposed to be this way. Where's the joy? Where's the happiness? They're shallow. They have no root to their thing. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Okay? I'm not saying that emotions are bad. Emotions are a gift from God. We are created in God's image and likeness, and part of that is that we feel. We have emotions. And to deny the the reality, the significance, the importance of emotion is to deny the teaching of God's Word. Emotions are a window to our soul. When you are really happy, ask yourself, why am I happy? When you are discouraged, ask yourself the question, why am I discouraged? 
When you get depressed, ask yourself, why am I depressed? Allow that emotion to move you deeper and ask the more powerful, profound, fundamental truths. Because if your happiness is solely based upon the, the positiveness of the current circumstances, what are you going to do when that changes? Because it's going to change. God's not saying emotions are bad. But if you are driven by your emotions... Where's the, where's the depth? Where's the roots? Okay? Uninterested people. Shallow, emotion-driven people. And then you have distracted people. Verse 14. The seed that will fall among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Distracted people are distracted by lots of things. The worries of life. The challenges of life. Riches. Again, the Bible does not say that, rich, that money's bad. One of the most misquoted verses in Scripture is, is that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money is the root of all evil. The Scriptures give us instruction on, you know, work hard. Save. Enjoy. Just don't get caught up in it. Don't make that the goal of your life. Pleasures. As sinful fallen people, we have the capacity to take every good gift that God has given us and mess it up. Taste buds. Food is good. Getting close to lunch here? Okay, you know, what are you thinking about? Okay. Uh, and, and it's good. God made us that way. But, you know, we, we abuse it. I'll suck in my belly here for a minute. So you, okay, all right, you, you get it. We abuse it, okay? It's a good thing. God gives us all the good gifts for us to enjoy. That's true with our sexuality. It's true with relationships. There are some people who get so caught up in, in their children that they miss God. And they value their children over anything else. Work is a good thing. You know, there was work and there was sex before there was sin. Go back to the early chapters of Genesis. There was work and there was sex before there was sin. And we have distorted both of those things so that it's off the scale. We mess it up. Distracted people. Worries, riches, pleasures. But there's no maturation here. There's no crop. Now, Bible students love to find things to discuss. And what, one of the discussions about this portion of Scripture is are the shallow people, are they real believers? And are the distracted people really believers? 
We know for sure that the first category are not believers. We're going to, when we get to the fourth category, we're going to know for sure that they are believers. But what about these middle two? Well, God only knows. This portion of Scripture is not intended. Jesus is not trying to teach His disciples or us about eternal security. Just like He's not teaching us about Satan. Or He's not teaching us about the kingdom per se. And all those in this context are, are topics that are in there. But it's not the primary teaching. Remember, a parable has a primary purpose. And we do disservice to the text when we try to pull out of it things that were never intended. Now we need to understand what the kingdom is. The kingdom is the rule of God. The church is not the kingdom. The church is part of the kingdom. Jesus said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's important. It's really important. But that's not the point of this passage. We need to understand the devil and his schemes and, and be aware of them and not be afraid of him and know that greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. But that's not the point of the passage. We need to have clarity on eternal security and, and what a believer really looks like. And listen, But that's not the point of the passage. Jesus is simply saying that there are different groups of people out there and three of them, they're not going to be fruitful. Don't be surprised. Don't be discouraged by that. The fourth group, verse 15. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and pure heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Now, I don't know about you, but noble is not a word that I use often. And I had to look that up aggressively. I have in recent weeks been trying to remind myself of the, of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, the nine demonstrations of the fruit of the Spirit. And of what I'm supposed to be thinking about in Philippians and one of the, the four descriptive terms of what I'm supposed to be thinking about is noble. What is noble? What is a noble heart? In the context that Scripture is using it, it has to do with being an honest person. It's a person who looks at themselves and reality with integrity, with accuracy, You've been around people who, if you listen to them, they really believe a particular thing about themselves that you don't believe. You, you, you don't, you've not seen it. You're not buying it. But they believe it. And they talk about it. That's not a noble-hearted person. A noble-hearted person, you've also had people that when you talk to them, it's like they, they, you know, they, they think they're dirt and they're worthless and all that, and they don't understand who they are in Christ. So, so there's, you know, it works both ways. But they're people who are, who are honest. 
People who uh, are open, because notice it says that they hear the word. It doesn't mean that they just hear it. It means that they let it sink in. They're interested. Uh, perhaps we could say they are thirsty. Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. The invitation that God gives to everyone is, is I'm here and I want a relationship with you. I've provided what you need in Jesus Christ. Come. A noble-hearted person is the person who says, yeah, I need that. I need that. I'm open to that. I'm I am thirsty. And God brings us to that point. God uses circumstances. God is a relentless pursuer of our hearts and lives. People with a noble and good heart hear the word, retain it. It finds a home. It has an impact. And by persevering, produce a crop. By persevering, it's not saying that that they have earned their salvation. Oh, no. God forbid. What he's saying is that they have demonstrated the genuineness of their faith by a changed life. Jesus teaches us in Matthew 7 uh, that we're to look at people's fruit. One of the most sobering portions of Scripture that we can ever read is in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus is talking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Didn't we do really religious stuff? God, do you know how many mission trips I've gone on at Berean? You know how many board meetings I sit in at Berean? You know how, many, how much money I've given over the years to Berean? Been around Berean for a long time. Before Berean was another church, and before that was another church. You know, God, clearly, I've demonstrated to you. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Beloved, if you are trying to justify yourself, if you are trying to, if you're implying even a little teeny bit that you deserve salvation, you do not have a noble and good heart. Those are sobering truths. Be careful. Not everyone who calls me Lord, who brings out their list of spiritual accomplishments, is really forgiven, is really a child of God. 
Look in the mirror. Obviously, the soil, the people who have a noble and good heart are true, genuine believers and they produce a crop. Now, no one is saying at all that it's 25% of each and so that's 100% of the population. Who knows? But the majority of people are not in that fourth category. So, as Jesus is instructing his followers, as he is instructing you and me today, understand that most people are not going to receive the message of Jesus. Do not be surprised by that. It breaks our heart. We want to be faithful and, and winsome and creative and, and prayerful and all of that. So, Three takeaways real quick. Be intentional. Expect a harvest. God expects a harvest. Jesus is looking and saying, where's the, where's the, where's the harvest? He ex- the, the sower expects a harvest. Expect a harvest. Be patient. It takes time. Anybody who has a green thumb, anybody who knows anything about agriculture knows that, that you do all you can, and then you wait. You might do a little watering, a little weeding, but you wait. It just takes time for, for the seed to do its thing, to germinate, all that. So be patient. God is patient. Aren't you glad? And thirdly, be faithful. There will be be a harvest. Back in Isaiah 55, it says this. This is God talking. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word, the topic of the parable, is powerful and effective. Don't be discouraged. Be faithful. Let God handle it. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, a church that was riddled with divisions, people had taken sides and, and, and they had their, their agendas and, and they had their champions and they were fighting and arguing and and trying to, you know, the one-upmanship that was going on there. And the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.17, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Ultimately, it's God's department with the effect, for the effectiveness of the seed on the soil. And God is in the business of changing soils and changing hearts and drawing people to Himself and, and dealing with, with, the, with the blindness, the spiritual blindness that Satan brings. God takes care of that stuff. We don't. We need to be intentional, patient, faithful sowers of the Word. And God will give an increase. See, when I, when I read this, I tend to th- start, to, I, I end up, you know, well, let me, let me 
let me get my words right. My initial response is, man, this is a frustrating, challenging thing. That's not where Jesus ended up. We shouldn't end up there either. The point is, there are people who are going to receive it. The harvest is guaranteed. We are not laboring in vain. The message is not an irresponsible, insensitive message. It is relevant. It is powerful. It's true. So we need to be faithful. We need to be intentional. We need to be patient. And we need to be faithful. The message is Jesus dying on the cross. So we are going to collectively, out of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, remember His death as He told us to do. We call it communion, Lord's Supper. If you are here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to join with us. The deacons are going to come and we're going to serve one another. Think of this as as being served. You're going to be handed a basket. You're going to be handed a tray. You're going to receive it. You are being served. And then you're going to pass it to the next person you are serving. Jesus modeled for us service. He calls us to a life of service. Faithful service. This is an example of that. But more importantly, this is the tool, the activity that Jesus gave us so that we would not forget what He accomplished on the cross. Our lives are busy, complicated, and we easily forget the fundamental things. This is our act of obedience that enables us to remember in a fresh way. If you know Christ, Enjoy it with us.